Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Beth Maitland. And this is Joel Brooks. And we're on Brandon's Buzz. We're buzzing with Brandon. We are. We're buzzing with Brandon, so tune in. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker, and you're listening to Brandon Buzz on Blog Talk Radio. This is a great show. Brandon is a great host. So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it Better when you live on a street of dreams Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon Buzz, the place to be This is Harry Garber, and you are buzzing with Brandon This is Maya Bialik, and you are lucky enough to be listening to Brandon's Buzz Hey guys, welcome to Brandon's Buzz. It's July 2nd, 2009. It is 1 p.m. here in Texas, sunny, hot, sun-scorched Texas, uh, 2 p.m. Out, out in the East Coast and uh, 11 a.m. back west. Um, and you're here at Brandon's Buzz, and it's going to be a great show, I hope. My guest has not called in yet. Uh, she was supposed to call in at 12.45 my time, and she has not called in yet. So um, while we wait for her to call in, maybe I'll have to send a, an email or two and find out what's going on. But while we wait for her to call in, let me tell you what's happening here at Brandon's Buzz and how you can find the show. Uh, if you're listening to the show live, you already know that you can find the show at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. That's the show's official website. From there, you can listen to the show. You can download old shows. Um, you can leave comments. You can send me emails. You can tell me what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, what you'd like to see on the show. Um, it's it's really a great site, and I encourage you to check it out. It's www.blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. Uh, you can also find the show at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. Uh, if you click on the radio tab at the top of the page, it's blue. It's a blue radio button. Uh, it'll take you to a page where you can see a complete listing of all my previous shows. And uh, from there, you can click on each date, and it'll take you to a page where you can listen to the show and you can see the great banners that my pal Joanne has made to help me advertise the show. That's at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. And from there, you can also send me an email um, telling me what you like, telling me what you don't like. I accept any and all criticism uh, and feedback, and I look forward to, to hearing from all of you guys. So uh, please, by all means, uh, send me an email. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. Also, I'm at iTunes. I'm at iTunes right next to my guest. Just type in the words Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Um, uh, scroll down to the podcast section, click on my logo, and from there you can li- you can subscribe to the show and have uh, each new episode immediately download to your iTunes library the minute it's uploaded to the store, or you can download individual old shows as podcasts and listen to them on your iPod, on your computer, on the portable device of your choosing. So, um, you know, I'm all over the Internet. I'm on Twitter as Brandon's Buzz. I'm on Facebook as Brandon's Buzz. Uh, just Google the words Brandon's Buzz and you will come up with something uh, that will point you in my direction. And I appreciate you finding me and I appreciate you all continuing to listen to the show. Um, as I said, my guest has not called in yet. Let me bring on my, my buddy Joanne. She doesn't have her hand up on the switchboard, but maybe she'll talk to me for a minute while I, while I try to figure out what is wrong with my guest. Joanne, are you there? I'm here, honey. I'm driving. That's why I didn't have my hand up, but I'm good. <laughs> How I wanted are you? to make sure I listened at the top of the show when we were at the gas station. I said, oh, let me call. <laughs> so she was supposed to call me at 1245, and she hasn't yet, so I'm going to send an uh, email. 
Oh, okay. And well, try to figure know, out what's going on. Tell us what's happening on your show tonight. Um, I have comedian Paul Ryan. Um, he's right now probably most famous for his little stint that he just did on an episode of Desperate Housewives as um, the male coworker that got too much plastic surgery. And it was quite hysterical. He kind of looked like that, you know, cat woman who's having, like, all that surgery done to her face and to look like a cat. That's what yeah. they made him look like. So um, it was pretty funny. But um, you can find him at PaulRyanProductions.com. He's actually um, not just a comedian. He's a, a television host. He hosted L.A. in the Morning, um, and he's also a correspondent for Entertainment Tonight. Okay. So, um, yeah, so he's, uh, he's, he's a pretty big deal, and he's interviewed everybody from Jay Leno to Tom Hanks to anybody that you can imagine that is in the entertainment business. That's amazing. So, did did yeah, he have his own so show at one time, or, or was it? He did, but I think it was stored locally in L.A. Okay. So um, I, I'm not really sure what the name of it is right now. I don't have anything with me, but um, it, it'll be interesting to talk to him to find out about, like, these guests and his experiences as, as a host. And um, he also has some video, he has a, a YouTube channel, and he just held uh, um, his own um, Miss America pageant um, uh, with Miss African American uh, of the Year, Mr. Gay of the Year, Miss Queen of the Year, Miss <laughs> um, Puerto Rican of the Year. Um, it, it's quite funny. You, you, you have to look at his YouTube channel, which you can find under uh, Paul Ryan Productions uh, on YouTube. Yeah, so it's pretty funny stuff. So it's, it's going to be interesting. And that's tonight Go at 10 Eastern. Uh, 10 Eastern, yeah. 7 p.m. Pacific. And um, I think it's going to be about 30, 45 minutes. You know, okay. it's dependent on, you know, how the flow goes. And uh, that's about it. So I don't have anything else in the works for right now. Um, waiting to hear about Jason Earl from Hannah Montana. Okay. Um, Ricky Paul Golden. Um, and um, my judges. I'm still waiting on Judge Mathis and Judge Alex. And, okay. uh, and that's it. You know, I planned on um, taking taking a, a, a week or so off. Hang on a second. I've got to put you on speakerphone. Okay. As the black and white car rolls by so I don't get a ticket. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, it was a cab. Oh, well. <laughs> it was a taxi cab. But, um, so, um, yeah, nothing. You know, July is usually a pretty slow month. Yeah. Um, for for anybody really, because most people are on vacation and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, not much is going on with that. And um, let me think. What else is What else is there to talk about? Um, did you catch up on any of the soaps? I heard that there's supposed to be another death in in Pine Valley, which I can't imagine who the hell they're <laughs> going to kill now. I, I'm several weeks behind on all my children. I'm pretty caught up on Young and the Restless, and uh, I'm more or less caught up on One Life to Live. But Yeah, I'm, well, you're I'm better pretty, than me. I'm pretty behind on everything else. It's yeah. Been a, it's been a crazy, hectic time. I've been, uh, my partner and I just closed on a house, and so we're in the process of moving, and it's, mm-hmm. been, a, it's been a pretty crazy time around here. So. Right. Yeah, it's um, for us, too, but uh, more so because the kids are out of school, vacation time, and all that good stuff, and uh, the weather's been a little r- ridiculous, but uh, we're actually going to a place called 
Darien Lake this weekend, um, which is a former Six Flags property, but it's it still holds the same thing. It's you know just like Six Flags, you know, rides, water parks, that kind of stuff. So okay. we're gonna head up there for the we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna head up there for the Fourth of July. That sounds like and, fun. Uh, yeah, well, it's the first night day we're supposed to have. I mean, it's been raining every day, you know, for – I can't even tell you how many days we've had. Like, right now, it's, the sun is out, but half of it's black, so who knows when it's going to hit. <laughs> so, it's one of those. But you've been having some crazy weather down there, too. Yes, we have. It, we we Last week, it was 105 all week, and, and uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, it rained cats and dogs, and – now it's back up in the hundreds again, so it's insane. Yeah, it's been. It's I been wish like Mother a, Nature would go take her hormone shots or something and get out of her menopause stage <laughs> and figure out what the hell's going on. Oh, uh, it's been like a human oven down here. It's been crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, hmm. I wonder what happened to Miss Taylor Dane. I don't know. I just sent an email to her manager, mm-hmm. and he has not replied yet. And he usually replies pretty quickly. So. Uh huh. Do I? Um, are there? I'm not on the computer, but are there any people in the chat room? Yeah, there are about ten people in the chat room. Mm. Um, Be patient, peeps. This kind of stuff happens all the time on live radio. So. Tammy K is saying hi to you. Tell her I said hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Um, my son takes over the computer during the day, so we just walked in the door, and that's where he is. So, no chat room for me today. Um, I was pleased to see that Stuart Damon was going to As the World Turns. Hello? Hello? Oh, now I know why they say that all the time. That British woman just kept came on and she said, you are now in the host queue. I know, I've been talking to him for the last 15 minutes. Isn't it incredibly annoying? Oh, I know. But, um, yeah, As the World Turns. I mean, not, not that I've ever watched the show, but it seems like a lot of our ABC people are going there. It's good to see they're wanted somewhere, I guess. I guess so. We got we started with Forbes March, <laughs> who will be uh, airing soon, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, Lynn Herring, Stuart Damon, who else was it? There wasn't there a couple other people. Uh, Judy Evans is going over there. Judy Evans from um, Days. Mm-hmm. Lynn Herring. Right. Hmm. Well, that seems like that would be the soap to watch right now. And they're saying, ironically, Stuart Damon is going to be playing a mafioso. Okay. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> He's going to be a part of somebody's mob. <laughs> so that should be interesting to see. I suppose. What's good in the music business, Brandon? What's hot right now? Oh, I've seen I... that you, you were complaining about the charts. What's going on with that? Oh, the way Billboard compiles their charts these days mm-hmm. is very strange, and so catalog, tile, t- catalog titles don't really aren't eligible to appear on the main album chart. And so, even though Michael Jackson had the three best-selling albums in the country last week, uh, they're not one, two, and three on the on the Billboard chart this week because oh. of the way they because of the way they compile their charts. It's just strange right. and crazy. So, did you see the the little thing I posted about? the boy who claimed that Michael Jackson molested him back, I think it was in 95? Yes. And he came forward and said that Michael Jackson never touched him. His father made him tell those lies. Crazy. I mean... It's amazing what money will make people do. 
Exactly. And the kid said that his father was obsessed with being poor and um, that uh, the fact that I, I don't know what the circumstances were around it. You know, he met Michael Jackson and saw an opportunity and just took it. And, and that was that. And evidently, over the years, the father abused that particular child. And it was in 2005, he went and got a restraining order against his father. But what I don't understand is why did he wait until after Michael Jackson was dead to come forward? Unbelievable. I don't know if... I don't know if they thought that it wouldn't make any difference or, or what. but Maybe, maybe. I don't know. But, I mean, I personally never thought that he did it in the first place. Um, I just, you know, I think people just take an opportunity to see that, you know, he basically loved children and what better way to get at them. So yeah. um, I don't really think he did anything like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, leave the man in peace. You know, he's in his own Neverland right now, and leave him alone. I mean, there's so much stuff going on around. You know, it's going to be it, this is going to be the the most talked about topic for years to come until all this stuff is settled now. You know, so I I just feel bad for them. I do. Yeah, and you know, I mean, his will is probably going to be so complicated and so complex that there's going to be legal battles for years over it. Oh, absolutely, and they already put out some pieces of the will, and he left custody of the children to his mother, who's going to be 80 years old, yeah. and, uh, you know, so that right there is going to be a battle, and then the second in line is Diana Ross, who's also 65, so it's like, <laughs> you know, so it's going to, and then there are paternity issues that he's not actually the biological father of those children, <laughs> so, and he never legally adopted them either. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of issues. I mean, a lot, a lot of issues. I mean, if the judges are right and, and, and smart in their head, they'll leave them somewhere within that Jackson family and to the life that they're accustomed to as far as, you know, um, comfort. I mean, that's the only family they've ever known. I would hate to see them be ripped apart and thrown into, like, social services or something like that. Yeah. I mean, he's got plenty of brothers and sisters who are young enough to take those kids. <clears throat> you know, um, Jermaine know Jackson has has been doing like detailed interviews with Matt Lauer on the Today Show. And you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. I think Jermaine always had a lot of animosity towards Michael because he made it and he didn't. Because for a while, Jermaine, you know, had his own little thing going on, but it was never quite like Michael's. Yeah. And um, I noticed a lot in the interviews. It was always, well, I felt like this and I felt like that and, you know, I always felt like I was Michael's backbone, and I always felt like I, so. I don't know. I think that he's just trying to like cash in now on the publicity. Is my opinion, and I hate to say it like that, but that's what I got from the interviews. Yeah. So it's it's I a shame. Know. It's a you know it's a messed up family. It has been for years. Of course, everybody's uh-huh. family's messed up, so you can't really say that. But you know, just because they're in, they're in the public eye, it, they seem more work. messed up than yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So I cut off my hair today. <laughs> that makes news. I went and got my hair cut. I got my I got my own treat today. I chopped it all off. Excellent. Uh, there's, yeah, there's my news. And eventually I'll take a picture and post it. Well, I have to go get my New York State ID tomorrow, so I figured I might as well just cut my hair the way I, whatever, and just go get it done. Rather than looking like a brag top. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to play some music here and, and see if I can figure out what's Make- going on. Do you have a number to make a phone call, maybe? Uh, no, I don't, but I'll send another email and, mm-hmm. and see what's going on. I also see a uh, a number on the switchboard here, which I uh, 
it's not the number I was told she would be calling in from, but maybe that's her. So I'm going to put you on hold and play some music okay, and see what's going on. Go ahead. So, hang on one second. Hi, this is Beth Maitland. And this is Joel Brooks. And we're on Brandon's Buzz. We're buzzing with Brandon. We are. We're buzzing with Brandon. So tune in. <laughs> so if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it Better when you live on a street of dreams Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz, the place to Hi, be. Hi, this is Peggy Scott Adams, and guess what? I am buzzing with my man, Brandon on Brandon Buzz. This is Brenda Russell, and there is definitely a buzz happening. Brandon, this buzz. is Claire Massey from the Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy, great show. Check it out. Well, I had a Santa Monica number on the switchboard, but I lost it. So I guess it wasn't her after all, or if it was her, oh. she hung up. So, oh. Taylor, if that was you, call back. Oh, wow. <laughs> that stinks. And still no word from her manager, and her manager has been emailing me back immediately whenever I email him, so I don't well, know. Well, maybe they're trying to get in touch with her or something. Yeah. No, I mean, God knows I've had this plenty of times on my show. <laughs> And it's quite frustrating, you know, the, to say the least. But, you know, their uh, wires get crossed or whatever the case is, you know. Yeah, I, so, I, I didn't confirm it this morning, so hmm. I didn't have I didn't have time to do that this morning. I, I probably should have, but I did confirm it on Tuesday, and he said that everything was lined up and on go. So. All right. Well, you know what? We'll see what happens. And uh, again, you know, it's always rescheduling. So. Yeah find out what's going on with that. You know, how long have you been on right now? Uh, 18 minutes. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll see. Um, what else you got lined up besides Taylor? I don't have anything lined up. I'm trying to put together a, a Michael Jackson tribute roundtable. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a couple of phone calls to return that I'm, I'm going to do after the show. So hopefully we'll have that up next week. Um, oh, I've, got several, I've got several yeses, but no confirmed dates for anybody. Like right. I said, I've been in the process of moving, and that's been a whole whirlwind. So I haven't really had time oh, yeah. to haven't really had time to pay attention to the show much. So mm-hmm. we may go dark for a couple of weeks while I get everything moved and settled. So right. Well, let me ask you, Brandon. Who would be your ideal guest? Who Who do you want on that show more than anybody you can imagine? That you would die and give your left arm to interview. Oh, good God! There are so many. There are musicians I love, like Tori Amos, David Gray. Uh, I would love to have a chat with George Michael. Mm. Oh, Probably the musicians awesome. I admire more than anybody, Annie Lennox. Um, you mm-hmm. know the the people I grew up loving. That would be that would kind of be my holy grail, I think. Yeah, yeah. What about actor wise? 
Oh, boy. I, mean, I, I know, know you pretty much secured a lot of the ones that you really, really wanted. Yeah, I've, I've been really lucky so far. It's been it's all the people that, most of the people that I've reached out to have really responded and 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 been great guests. Um, oh, that's an excellent question. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I think I think Angelina Jolie would be a fascinating interview. You know. I think she's got stories that would make everybody's toes curl. I think so. <laughs> I really do. I, and from, you know, I think it's funny how they keep comparing her and Megan Fox. Um, and Megan Fox is like, I, I don't even think I have acting talent. <laughs> you know, she's like, I don't know what you see, but, huh. Yeah, All I, right. I'm, I mean, I'm not even sure I know who that is. Megan Fox is the one who plays in all these Transformer movies. You know, she's the pretty girl with the blue eyes and the black hair, and, you know, she resembles Angelina Jolie to a certain point. Okay. And I, because she resembles her, um, people say that she's the next Angelina Jolie because she, play, you know, plays in, like, all these, like, action movies. What the hell? She was also in, like, a, I think it was at Lindsay Lohan and Mean Girls or something like that, and... She's, like, voted Maxim's Most Beautiful Woman or, or something like that. And she's very, very pretty, very pretty girl. Um, and I think what makes her more attractive is, you know, the fact that she's got the crystal blue eyes with the dark, dark hair. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and she's, she's a Shia LaBeouf sidekick in Transformers. Okay. Um, isn't isn't uh, Josh Duhamel in those movies also? Um, he is, yes, and Tyrese Gibson. Okay. And Matt Eisman, who I had on the show from Clean Oh, House. yeah, sure, sure. He's also in them as well. Um, in the second one he is. He plays, a, I think, a general or something like that. I didn't get to see the movie yet. I saw the first one, and I loved it. Um, but I decided that, you know, for the rest of the summer, because there's so many movies that I would want to see, I'm just waiting for everything to come on DVD. <laughs> um, really, I, I can't be bothered with going to pay, you know, $10, $12 a pop. It's just not oh. worth it to me. Um, I want to see My Sister's Keeper, um, which is about, uh, with uh, Cameron Diaz. Yeah. And um, uh, Dakota, no, not, is it Dakota? No, it's not Dakota Fanning. Oh, what is that little girl's name? Abigail Breslin, I okay. think it is. Um, and uh, um, the little girl from uh, The Medium with um, Patricia Arquette, um, and it's about how they have this one child because their other child is dying of cancer, and they need that umbilical cord to help save the older daughter's life. So it's about that. It's a pretty sad movie from what I understand. I want to see that one. I, I'm dying to see the Denzel Washington and John Travolta movie, Pelham 1, 2, 3. Um, you know, but again, all of these are going to wait for DVD. And, you know, my kids want to see, like, the Ice Age movies and mm -hmm. all those up. You know, I mean, certain ones are going to are in 3D. And so there's a lot of stuff going on movie-wise, that's for sure. Yeah, I want to see oh. Up. Up. Up looks really good. Yeah, and it's in 3D, too, so I want to see that. I, that and Ice Age, I may go to the movies to see because they are in 3D, and you don't get the same effect when you see it on DVD. So those ones I may, you know, yeah. just break down and go see. But um, We went and, saw the proposal um, a couple weeks ago, and it was pretty cute. Oh, was it really? Yeah, yeah I heard was. that one was, was pretty good. Betty White is, is hilarious in it. She plays an old grandma from Alaska, and she's hilarious. Oh, yeah, see, that's another one that I want to see. And um, 
Television-wise, there's not much going on on television. I just don't understand these network executives and, and who the hell creates these lineups. These, <laughs> I, I survived the Japanese game show. Did you ever entertain that show and watch it? No, not at all. Oh, my God. <laughs> Literally, I in Japan. And it's all these Americans on actual Japanese game shows. <laughs> You're kidding me. I'm going to spend money to send six, seven, eight people to Japan to be on a Japanese game show. That's the premise of the show. I mean, my eight-year-old loves them. He thinks they're funny as all hell because they're so stupid. <laughs> And that other one, Wipeout, he likes that show, which is another ABC thing. And um, America's Got Talent I've been watching, and that one's been pretty good so far. I think having Nick, uh, Nick Cannon host it really brought something to it because he really is funny. I mean, just facial expressions will make you laugh. And um, so that I've been, you know, catching and uh, – that's it, really. There really hasn't been anything else on. I've been watching a lot of Will and Grace repeats. <laughs> you know, there's not much on television. Well, I'll tell you what. You I'm know, looking at the switchboard, and my guest has just called in. Good, good. Go to your guest, and I'll be listening. Put me on hold. Thank you so much, Joanne, for, for pinch-hitting here, and I want to tell you guys about my guest. We have a terrific, terrific show today. You know, in the late 80s and early 90s, she had the Midas touch and literally everything on which she laid her powerful pipes turned to platinum. From her breakthrough smash, Tell It To My Heart, up through her brilliant cover of Barry White's Can't Get Enough Of Your Love, she notched nine straight top 20 singles, a feat that, by my calculation, only Mariah Carey and her label mate Whitney Houston were able to top. She stepped away from the music scene uh, for a time to start a family, but she came roaring back last year with a dynamite new album, Satisfied, and she's come by the buzz today to let us know if she indeed is. What a genuine honor and a great thrill to welcome to my show today the ferocious, the courageous Taylor Dane. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Hello, Miss Taylor Dane. Hi. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. It's such a great honor to have you on the show. Oh, I thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that was an amazing introduction. Um, wow. Well, oh, thank you very uh, much. I was starting to think that maybe we had gotten our wires crossed or something, but no, just the time. Yeah, I I was told that just fifteen minutes a little later. That's okay. All good. We it's okay. Out. It's okay. Yeah. So so um, let's get the let's get the boring stuff out of the way first. Give us the sixty second bio on Taylor Dane. Where are you born? Where were you raised? Where'd you go to school? I was, yes, I was born and raised in in New York. I was born in Manhattan. I was raised in Long Island, and. uh you know, a lot of talent came out of those neck of the woods. I grew up in Baldwin and Freeport area. I went to okay. Baldwin schools, same school as Dee Snyder, um, Scott Rudin, you know, big producer. So that's where I was born and raised. Absolutely. It wasn't such a jump going into the city and working <laughs> in bands and doing what sure. I needed to do. So, sure. Yeah. And uh, I assume you always knew you wanted to be a singer. Always. I was that five-year-old little brat running around, singing to the, you know, every commercial conceivable. And I had my first solo, I don't know, I think I was in kindergarten. It was I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Wow. <laughs> and then it really went from there. But this was something, a dream, and something I absolutely knew I was born to do. When did you first understand that you have a most powerful voice? Because, you know, I mean, it, it truly is a gift. And I'm wondering when you first understood it, when you first appreciated it. Um, 
I, it was a, you know, it's a funny thing about having a talent. You know, if you, a gift, as you say, with, with sports, you know, athletes, you know, this is something that you, you usually see quite young. And sure. maybe with a voice like mine, it is. It was quite young. I, it, when I was eight years old, um, I was in fourth grade. And by then, I, I had already, it was evident. It was very evident that, well, it was for me. It was my own secret tool. It was my own secret weapon. It was my own um, voice, if you will. And I knew I was going to do great things and, and save it, honor it, and, and make sure it got me out of anything I wanted to get out of. Absolutely. If you ask any athlete what their instrument, you know, the ball, the, the stick, whatever, you know, the baseball, the bat, uh-huh. you know, whatever it is, you know, in at athletic terms, a lot of those guys, they just don't have a normal childhood because they are just so yeah. pampered, spoiled, and they go into a different existence. Everything's about the game. Well, for me, everything mm-hmm. was about the boys. And when I was eight years old, and that means fourth grade, I guess, I had my first a, a big solo. That the teacher gave me in the Jacques Brel. If anybody understands what Jacques Brel is alive and well, and it was called um, Carousel. I think I can still remember my parents with their jaws hanging open. <laughs> the piece of this, if you could ever dig that up, this is something like what Edith Piaf did. It was out of a show called The Fantastics, and I mean, or from the same writers. It was just not a common, we, it wasn't, you know, Jai Garu, the, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, across the universe from the Beatles, trust me. <laughs> you know, and like every chorus was doing all the Beatles songs and all that stuff, and that's fantastic, but this just was not that. So there you go. Eight years old, it was a little bit obvious. <laughs> so what would you call your big break? I mean, what what would be what would you call the thing that really kind of sets you on your current path? Okay, well, there were a couple, but by 18, I was already doing what we, we call 12 inches in singles. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in first band, which was selling me in the next or whatever, a couple of them. And I was, it was all original music uh, driven. And so, therefore, it, I, the importance of, of actually making original music and that was the way to break and get into the music industry. I was demoing. I was working for major labels, you know, in the sense of making music that was going in that direction to get signed. I mean, that was what the band's journey was. I was working in every club in the city by then and, and the great ones, you know, the bitter ends, the Gildersleeves, the bottom line, you know, um, CBGBs. And Absolutely. that was eight. And, and then I realized, screw the band situation, and I started doing what was called 12 Inches. You know, there was a radio station out of New York called KTU that just started. And I was like, who are these people? Who's that? And then a Z100 started. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And it was Whitney Houston, and, and it was, uh, you know, even Aretha Franklin, if you believe it or not, started came back with this incredible record called Who's Zoom and Who. Sure. Free of Love and Who's Zoom and Who. Yeah. Or something. I'm sorry? Yeah, Free Way of Love and Who's Zoom and Who. She she made a huge I mean, comeback in the in the exactly it was like eighty two eighty three and then a little girl named Madonna broke out absolutely and these were, you know, when Madonna broke out in like eighty three you know I was living in Long Island I was just in high school and I was just like what the hell that chick black you know because the first <laughs> single was burning up or whatever it was and maybe it was even holiday but you know for what we started for our purposes burning up. And everybody was like, that's black, that chick's wild. And then you see this girl, like, you know, laying in the road and all that crazy uh-huh. gear, being a sex symbol. So that's really, you know, these clubs and merging with music. My brother was already what was called a VJ. He was working out of a club called Private Eyes. It was a real New York thing. I was already bouncing into dance area. 
hanging out on 8th Street and 2nd Avenue. Those were the clubs were. And, I mean, I was sneaking in. Trust me. <laughs> but 18 was legal, my friend, back then. So we were doing our thing. And I wow. was watching out the single world really developed record deals. And then I met my, you know, production partner at the time, which is Rick Wake, just sending around demo stuff. I answered an ad in the Village Voice. But I knew by then, after this band and that band, I knew the difference between what was potentially a record deal and what was potentially garbage. And so that was the beginning of it. Rick and I collaborating. We did a couple of 12 inches under Leslie, and we worked for an independent production company and label. And then, I don't know, maybe about a year of that, I had a couple of singles out. And for any of those that want to journey, until, and I know this is long and winded, but if any of you ever look, it's called Leslie. Those were like my first 12 inches, and I had a really good underground, and it was called hip-hop at the time, and that's not hip-hop how we knew it. It was like <laughs> 123 to 126 beats per minute, and wow. I was producing those records with Rick, and we were writing them and making them, and we were working out with a lot of Jersey kids, and and then one day he was like, you need a crossover, babe, and I was on the hunt, and he was, and I met a friend of mine that I went to high school with maybe a couple of years later on the West Side Highway. No joke, and he was working for Warner Chapel. And he goes, oh, I'll get some people to send you some cassettes and tapes. <laughs> you know, this is like 1987. Wow. And I go, yeah, awesome. And my dad knew how, you know, I mean, by that time, he just they just saw how incredibly focused and directed I was. And of Absolutely. Course, and he was building his, his, you know, his ability as a producer. And, sure. And I was on every session conceivable we could put myself on, and I started honing my craft. And we found a song called Tell Us My Heart on a tape, and he goes, that's the one. We borrowed the money from my father. We signed up a little agreement with him to pay his ass back because we knew how. And we went and hired an independent promoter. We just thought we were going to get the Saturday Night Mix shows, you know, cross it over. Essentially, uh-huh. you know, pay my dad back. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, the, the rest of the story is kind of history. So it did not break in America for us. In 1987, in about August, I guess it was, when Arista took the single, they released it in Europe first. To wow. a black label with just these funky. If you ever saw the original cover, it had my name in pink and green and all these writings in a black label. They never saw my face, and that was a marketing strategy. And it broke <laughs> all throughout Europe and went number one, and was, you know, just madness. And that's where it started for me. And looking back, and by '88, I guess it was released here. And that's when I opened up for Michael for the Bad Tour. It was just that big a phenomenon for me starting in Europe. So it's a big deal. Wow. Yeah. And so. <laughs> what what brought you what brought you to Arista here? Oh no no they signed it the single. Okay. Was was that that must have just been the greatest thrill? I mean we're talking about Whitney Houston we're talking about Aretha we're talking about Clive Davis. I mean this well, was... one thing you should know is I remember looking at Rick right to his face and I go who's that on the radio? What singers are those? What is that? it was probably Aretha and this is you know a year or two earlier and uh-huh. I said and Whitney Houston I go voices like that whoever's working with artists like that get it that's where I should be. And wow. that's the intention. When you put something out there like that, make sure, you know, that was my intention. I had every wow. intention. He understood vocalist. He understood the power of song. You know, Clive has a... Pre- it. Has a he didn't understand yeah, what absolutely. he was getting his hands into. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Clive has, Clive has a big reputation for being a pretty hands-on guy with his artists. Um, did you have a lot of personal interaction with him? Developed. I mean, he had no idea what he had at first. He didn't understand. But, I mean, who would? They bought a single. That's the power of him understanding the song. But to throw, to put a song out, a picture or whatever, I was signed as a single, single option album. This wasn't my, I wasn't put into the studio and, and molded and, and, and embraced and A&R. This had nothing to do with that. Then yeah. that happened. You better damn believe it. 
<laughs> I had to make my first record in like six weeks. They were losing millions of sales in albums because I was selling singles. I Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. He ne- they never made that mistake again, trust me. <laughs> and I could name a lot of artists that signed never, they always had something in the pipeline because I I was nominated for Grammys until 89. Sure. And came out in 88. Oh, because there was no record in the time frame that, you know, there, there's a cutoff date in October. I told you things came out here in August. It was, there was nothing there. Yeah. Amazing. You know, it it just it, it it just goes to prove that it always starts with a great song, always. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Well, I I learned that. That's for sure. You're absolutely right. And you know, I mean, we're talking about four top ten singles from your debut album, and and another four from your second album. Uh, yeah. That puts you in pretty rarefied air in terms of commercial pop music success. Oh yeah, it was. You know, there was. It's what's called the role. You know, <laughs> I mean, actually, over my career now, I've had seventeen top twenty singles in both Billboard. Unbelievable. 17. Did, did you have time? Also, I mean, that's the genius of it. The last the book came in, the Adult Contemporary, I guess, top 40. And then, uh, obviously, went number one in the dance charts and number, tw- I don't know, 30-something. And, and my album went top 200, which is, you know, I haven't had one in the 200s for quite a while. Yeah. Just to do that in the music industry now is brilliant. So, yeah, I mean, consistently trying and broke into acting and film and I guess Absolutely. the was the first thing yeah, I did with Warren Beatty. And, and yeah. Did you have time back then to really appreciate the accomplishment, or were you so busy that you didn't really know from it? I think, you know, when you look at what in the, the pop stars of how it really has changed, you know, you can see the pressure. I'm not going to say it's the hardest job in the world, but it's damn close. <laughs> You're expected as that person to be in multiple countries and, and radio like we have such a different way of information passing right now it's called the internet and, absolutely and the way the rags and the, the tabloids are here now you can build branding and starring when we broke in europe they had that type of amount of of what do you i mean you know the paparazzi the the, the rag papers it was just ridiculous when uh-huh. i first broke I mean, I was followed consistently. I mean, this went on for years, anytime in Europe, just the way. It, it started here, I guess, in more of the late 90s. You know, but we're talking 10 years earlier. You never had the Internet like that. Christ, I remember when I first was begging my road manager to get a cell phone. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like, dude, we need to know where you're going. And, and we'd be in the tour buses and stuff. We had no t- cell reception. I mean, could you imagine that now? I mean, <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, exactly. And kids have cell phones now. Eight-year-old kids have cell phones. Yeah, well, for sure, because they divorced their parents, and, you know, this one wants to talk about And believe me, I hear it like, I've heard all the stories. Forget it. My kids on this, you know, the Internet's not so much for them yet. They're a little young, but I'm just saying. I mean, the information is so immediate, so absolutely easier to break on some level. Obviously, with video, it's tougher to break because there's just so much more available. So, obviously, the implosion of the music industry, but, um, yeah, amazing, amazing you know, where artists are today, meaning they don't have to necessarily show up to the radio station the way we really physically, it, was, it took a toll, mm-hmm. a lot. But, you know, still, you know, you look at Britney's, you look at everybody, there's a lot of pressure about, you know, maintaining and building this image and this brand. And now you're selling a lot of products along out of that because that's really where your money is. It isn't from selling records. Yeah. But the records are what are what build your audience, so... 
Oh, but it builds what's called your touring. It builds what your sure. audience of, of entertainer. I mean, sure. you know, are these people entertainers? That's what you got to look at. I mean, building an entertainer. I mean, we lost one of the greatest entertainers we've ever had. And it just shows you what he turned concert and the media into and the marketing and branding that he did. I mean, he was genius with that. Absolutely. And not just that, but what he turned... Access, you know, what like he turned... Marilyn James Dean or Elvis, he really built the image. Sure. And with Michael, it's not just concerts and and what he did in terms of touring, but what he did with music video, what he did with uh, the basic form of pop music. I mean, he changed it forever. Well, and also, if you really, really break it down, what Michael Jackson did from an early age where that music was just so genius, the songs and his incredible, uh, the the genius of his musical ability as a seven, eight, nine, you know, with the Jacksons. Then you saw the change of what pop music really was the producer-artist collaboration. Most definitely, without Quincy Jones, we wouldn't be talking about Michael Jackson today because those songs, that production, that it's the same thing with the Beatles, the magic that happens there, the same magic that took place with me and Rick Wake. This is, there is magic that happens in the studio with the right combinations. Absolutely. And it's mandatory because to have a great song and then to have the magic of putting it across in such a way I mean, think about the minute you hear, you know, uh, the beginning of uh, bus, like, I don't know, off the wall or PYT, there's that doom, 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 doom. Uh-huh. I mean, boom. So what song are you hearing? I mean, there's just there's a lot of Michael songs like that. <laughs> so talk a little bit about I mean, Can't Fight. I'm speaking into the Playboy Club and hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> My brother was doing the lights. I was like, I'm getting this. <laughs> Love. So talk a little bit about Can't Fight Fate. You know, when it came time to record that, how much pressure did you feel trying to follow up an enormously successful debut? Um, did you ever have any doubts about your ability to kind of strike gold twice? Yeah, I mean, there was all that, what, the sophomore juice. Um, honestly, that's when I sat in Clyde's office. He played me music. I We were in a groove. He played me Shelter. He played me Love will Lead You Back. I said, oh, my God. I mean, we were in a groove. So the company, myself, him, the greatest writers in the world, our production ability, my vocals, I was starting to find myself. He was embracing. We were building my brand. So it was a great record to make. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned quite frankly, you... Well, now you're talking like 91, where we started really, you know, I had ground-baking video with Tell Us My Heart. It was just the image alone. People were like, what and who is that? So to continue that, I had a real physical change by my second record, and that's, you know, the popularity and the branding and the marketing aspect and moving from being a child, like, you know, funky and streetwise to mm-hmm. more of a credible artist. Mm-hmm. You know, delivering that would love to lead you back. And, sure. You know, I had, I think... Um, on that record also was a song. Well, the first single, I think, was Every Beat of My Heart. And uh, Shelter. I mean, these songs. I'm, and I started working with huge video directors. I'm talking Dominic Senna, um, David Kellogg. These are, all these directors went on to, uh, one, one did Aliens. One did, you know, ended up shooting Michael Jackson. Actually, Janet and Michael saw that, sec- that video I did with David, which was Every Beat of My Heart, mm-hmm. and hired him to, I think, um, that MJ, that MJ uh, you know, Michael Jordan video. That's another one where Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan did a video. 
Yeah. But, yeah. He hasn't went on to big, big stuff. Absolutely. You know, you, you mentioned Lovely Jubak, and, and that song very much became an instant classic for you and very much your signature song, without question. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, here you were known for these high-energy dance hits, and all of a sudden here comes this, this kind of gut-wrenching ballad that would end up becoming your biggest hit. Uh, did you did you like that song the instant you heard it? Instantly, and but you know I learned my I learned my lesson because <clears throat> there was another song on my first record that has become that is an instant classic, and that's called I'll Always Love You. And I was vehemently I was I was like I don't know if I could do the song. I didn't believe in it, but that was the that was probably that is without a doubt the foresight of Clive because Clive was like, you will do the song, you can do the song, trust us, <laughs> sing the song, get in there and find that and. Wow, a ballad is such a powerful tool for connection with an audience. It was Absolutely, that was I'll always love you. I mean, that's become a, a classic wedding, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know, lovely. It's so funny about lovely Jubak. I'm sorry. It's so funny about lovely Jubak because it's 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 very unconventional in the way it's constructed. I mean, it doesn't have the it doesn't have the classic rhyme scheme that. A normal ballad does. It's just it's very unusual in its construction, and and uh, I'm just wondering if you if you connected to it immediately, if you if you just had a, an instant sense that that this was going to be uh, a big one for you. I don't know how you. Well, I certainly didn't know that on my first record. I can promise you that. But <laughs> by the second record, we were on some sort of wave. I don't know. I just think it's Diane Warren, the combination. It was. To hear that song, we all looked at each other in the office when he played it for me, and I go, wow, and he goes, wow, and I go, wow. Never predict anything, but it was a big wow song. I mean, love will lead you back. Someday I just know that. I mean, come on. (laughs) It's amazing. But she did it with Unbreakable. Similarly, there's a build. I mean, but this is one of her finest. That and Unbreak My Heart are one of her finest moments, writing moments. No question, and she's had a ton of them. Mm-hmm. Talk about the thrill of having a number one hit. You know, I, I, <laughs> well, I, I found it. I, I was having that moment in other countries, obviously, and having it in the states was pretty profound. But I was also on the Tonight Show when they told me, and they handed me this plaque. So I remember wow. that. That was, that was awesome. Jay was like, and we're, it was Tuesdays because that's when the numbers come in. And I was like, <laughs> unbelievable. You know, it, it, I mean, it, it must be the. You know, I'm wondering what your holy grail is for success. Is it is it making a record? Is it having a top ten hit? Is it performing for thousands of people? Um, All of, because without one, it doesn't serve the other. When you have a hit record, there's nothing like the impact it has on an audience, because everybody hears it. That means it's a hit record. Means radio airwaves are playing it, whatever that means sure. today. But it means the public are hearing it. That means when you get out on stage. They're in your pocket. And what does that mean? It means that they can sing the song back to you and they are expecting it, desiring it. They have been impacted by something you do. So that energy then is transferred between you and an audience magic. Wow. You can get an audience to have feel magic on a radio wave. That's uh-huh. power. And imagine double the feeling. That's why an artist gets out there and performs. Does it mean the same thing now that it once did, it, uh, having a hit single? I'm sorry, say that again? Does having a hit single today mean the same thing that it did back then in terms of, I don't know, in terms of radio play, in terms of uh, cultural I penetration? It does. does it? I'm sure it does, but ask Josh Groh if he's had a hit single. 
you know, there's also the power of classic artists or artists that can deliver quality music um, and a style of music, and, a, and they'll sell record after record after record because uh-huh. they aren't believed in as something that is truly necessary for an audience to have in their home. It's a, it's a lifestyle music, you know, it's something that they feel good, but I don't know if that's necessarily what a hit record is. Yeah. You know what I mean, on airwave-wise, and connecting to an audience with a pop record, so to speak. Yeah. Talk about the four-year gap between Can't Fight Fate and Soul Dancing. I mean, you know, when you left Can't Fight Fate, you were competing with Phil Collins and Whitney Houston and New Kids on the Block for Top Radio for Top 40 Radio Space. And, uh, you know, now when you come back four years later, rap and hip-hop are just beginning to crawl into the mainstream. Uh, yeah. You're fighting with Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and Nirvana, and they were winning. Um, I knew that. I, I already knew that. And I instinctively went to the label and I said, I need to go more urban. We need to... And, what that meant, but that's me meant getting into the studio more with Dallas Austin, just guys that were willing to cross over a little bit. Madonna did tackle that a little bit. She worked with Babyface, she worked with Dallas, and that was would have been the smarter thing to do. But it was mm-hmm. also painful because that means stretching for me and working with, you know, different producers. And yeah. it was a stretch. It was hard, and I also wanted to be involved in my writing process more. But you're, without a doubt, you're right. It was pop radio was losing. It was definitely dead. Uh, there was a radical change. Yeah. Was was that new radio landscape kind of a tough thing for you to wrap your mind around, or, or were you were you well, ready you to? Well, the ones that were really working were soundtracks, tracks where there was some material that actually crossed over, hit home. Pearl Harbor, um, I guess, uh, you know, Celine was starting to get a real built soundtrack stuff. Sure. And uh, there was other tracks like that, Aerosmith, blah blah blah. But if it, it, it got the push from the film companies and the film was there, people were buying for the most mm-hmm. part. I mean, Bodyguard, I mean, that might have been, what, 92, 93, but there's, you know, and then rock and roll was like, it was just this phenomenon out of Seattle. You know it, I know it, we all know it. And hip-hop <laughs> started really taking hold. You know, one of my favorite Taylor Dane tracks is a, is a cut-off of Soul Dancing. Uh, it's a terrific duet with Keith Washington called The Door to Your Heart. It's, it's such a, it's such a gorgeous one. and unusual love song, and you two blend together just perfectly. Did you enjoy working with him? I did. You know, the funny thing is, last night I heard that song for the first time. I, I, I can't even tell you how many years. And I remember, and I go, God. I'm like, damn, she can sing. Listen to that. And when it first came on, I heard it was my voice, and I go, who's that? And my friend goes, uh, Taylor. So, that's what Typical. Because, you know, we got iPods and computers, and I remember uh-huh. it was, uh, and it came on, and he was like, I love this song, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow. So, yeah, it's fresh in my mind. You're damn right. Yes, he's Brilliant singer. Wow. Yeah. You two were just a you you two were just a perfect match. Uh, it was just one of those things that just worked. Well, thank you. Yeah, another another Diane Warren song. <laughs> so you know my my all time favorite Taylor Dane track was a was a uh, a Jim Steinman song you did in 1994 called Original Sin for yeah. uh, for the soundtrack of The Shadow. And let me tell yeah. you something. You sang the living hell out of that song, and I'm still stunned that it didn't become. Just a, a a worldwide smash. I mean, I, I just I, I'm why That's wasn't why, the, why wasn't that a massive hit? Well, because the 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 movie bombed. You yeah, but that? you know, yeah, you know, it really look those movies that took off. The soundtracks took off. They just didn't, you know, the studios were were backing out of so They just it was it just bombed. Didn't do what they thought. 
But it is a quiet storm, that song, without a doubt. It's one of those classic, amazing, and experience of recording it there. I remember it was just, wow. Did you get a, did you get a chance to work with Steinman himself? Yeah, of course Jim was there. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and that I was... Know, that, it doesn't that, usually take me nine hours to do a vocal, but it sure did with that. <laughs> you know, that was right after... Uh, Meatloaf has had 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 his huge comeback, and and you know yeah, Simon was, was. Yeah, Meat was there. Meat was in the studio, not with wow. me, but you know we were doing multiple tracks, and sure. Jim just mixing and stuff. I mean, it was hard to get the genius out of his out of his room, but you know we had a lot of takes. That's a lot of those were stacked after stacked after stacked vocals. Wow. But we did it, and then I was off shooting a video, as you saw. <laughs> <laughs> the director shot that. The film director, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I've been going on and on about my favorite Taylor tracks, and, and I'm wondering if you have a favorite Taylor track. Oh, I, I'm the signature songs, you know, I sing them all the time, and The Impact of Love Will Lead You Back, Tell It to My Heart, um, Can't Get Enough of Your Love was an absolute joy to work with David Cavillis and Robert Cole, I, I mean, David, yeah, Robert Cavillis and David Cole, amazing, you know, um, some of them have passed on, some of them are still working, but, um, I still listen to that song and I say, God, how fresh, and I love the production on that, Tell It To My Heart. Love Will Lead You Back, just never get the dry eye. I mean, they're just impactful. I love performing Shelter. Sure. Yeah, some of the beauties for me. And then, you know, the new stuff. And yeah. So the same year you did Original Sin, you made your film debut in Warren Beatty's Love Affair, as you, as you mentioned earlier, um, and that led to kind of a series of film and television roles and uh, eventually led you to Broadway on uh, Elton John's Aida. Yes, uh, absolutely. How, how did this kind of sojourn into acting come about? Was it Were you ready to try something new, or did it just kind of fall in your lap? No, nothing ever falls in my lap, that's for sure. I work for it. But <laughs> in that case, I had been seen on The Tonight Show by Warren, and I was contacted. And by then, I just started taking some acting lessons, and I was serious about it. I really wanted to bridge the gap as an entertainer, and you know, who's the next Barbra Streisand, Bette Midler, uh, Taylor Dan. Um, and little do people know, so in between that time, yes, I did start filming Love Affair. Um, I was asked to do, from from that film, which was probably about 94, 95, I guess, when it was released, maybe around 95, um, a lot of television was doing a lot of series, sitcom stuff. They were like, wow, she's, she's got natural timing. So I started coming out to L.A. a lot and going in for, you know, auditions, meeting with a lot of the networks and stuff like that. Um, I start. I filmed two more, a couple of other. One of them became an HBO film called Stag, which was, certainly wasn't a comedy, and it was a pretty strong cast to work with. And Tree set up, and then uh, a network called Showtime was doing their first um, scripted, you know, original programming, and it was uh-huh. called Rude Awakening. It was a series, and uh, it got me out to LA. That was probably about ninety-seven, ninety-eight. And then I decided to stay here for four months because Roseanne hired me for the Roseanne show to play John Goodman's mistress. There was going to be a real wedge in their marriage. Wow. That brought me to L.A. Unfortunately, they canceled the show that year, Story of My Life. And I'm like, after 10 freaking years, they got to do the show? Okay. Yeah, okay. That that happened. um, But it kept me out in L.A. And then I recorded a record here with the management that I brought out here, and it was called Make It Without You. And it was uh-huh. the first one I did independently from Arista. But during all this time, I was like, you know, the, the acting, the music, um, that took me on a tour for a little bit. And then I ended up back in New York at my apartment, and I did, yeah. 
I did uh, Aida in 2001 through 2002. Well, yeah, 2001. Which was and that, that must have been completely amazing. It was amazing. Just Listen, going, was, going out there every night with a huge production and, and you know, yeah. the, the I mean, the, the biggest people in, in musical theater behind you. It was, it was great. I mean, just doing the workshops, the whole thing. Sure. Absolutely. The show was a success. I walked through it like that. It was brilliant. Really. And it was great music. It was a great musical to do, you know. I mean, the role was just meaty and fantastic. It was great. So your latest album, Satisfied, um, were you satisfied with how it came out? I mean, your voice has aged so brilliantly well. It's just become fuller and richer over time. Uh, oh, thank you. Well, you know, you still, you know, like I recorded that pretty much numerous all over the world. I did it in Sweden, Austria, um, you know, because I was writing in different spots like that and working with different producers, New York and L.A. So I recorded a lot of it in New York and L.A., wrote it pretty much all over. But that record started its journey in probably about 2004 because I went to Germany and uh, on a fluke in Austria for a holiday in the summer, and then I met some writer, producer out of Germany, I mean Austria, and I started working with them there, and then I got signed for a huge deal through BMG Germany. So it was like coming home. Wow. So out of Munich. So it was my process began making a big record like that again. That was about 2004 and 2005. Nobody really knows about it because there was a little thing called a merger. <laughs> which is unfathomable. And it's, you know, actually closed to Munich BMG, which is just almost unheard of. And others and millions of others and the rest of history. And most of us artists are now independent anyway. There's rarely on a major. But that was the beginning of a major trend of wow. Absolutely. You know, I was, I was going to ask you if you enjoyed by the time I can get this together and fund it and just musically bring out something, you know, I did singles in between there, as you do know, and soundtrack stuff, but putting out another full uh, studio record, you know, mm-hmm. I had to get the funding and a couple in together. And that's, you know, that was the birth of Satisfied for me in 2007 and released it in 2008. Sure. You know, we're seeing more and more people like Radiohead and the Eagles and Prince taking complete control of their careers and their product and their images. Um, and you know, to to a to a smaller extent, that's exactly what you've done with this. And I'm wondering sure. if you enjoyed putting this project together away from the from the major label bullshit. Well, I mean, you certainly can go to any you know in any direction you want. Remember that the, what the labels had at one point was a machine, and I had was working with some of the greatest, you know, like Clive Davis. I think you know there's a, there's pros and cons, but you're looking on a financial level, it's, it's certainly light years ahead of it. You're not being told like a bank, oh, don't own the house, make <laughs> on it, and then, hey, get back to us, and you'll pay 50% of it. It was always backed against the artist, but the artist was making the money on the other side. You know, uh-huh. they, were, they were benefiting from the promotion, I guess, but they were owning their own records. Yeah. It's a real <laughs> bad loan percentage, trust me, bad rate. So, I mean, you can look at the flip, and now we're in such turmoil. But what it is, is it'll always straighten itself out, but it's cyclical, you know? Yeah. It's a tough time. People are getting more involved in their own market, you know, promotion and ownership. So it's a, there's a brilliance to it, and it's 
nothing like I didn't start 20 years ago when I did it independently and was doing the same thing. Really. Absolutely. You know, I think the I think the great thing about the internet and the digital revolution is that it's kind of even the playing field for everybody. You're right. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Certainly with the MySpaces and the Facebooks and Twitter and sure. all the tools that are available to mass market. It's just how do you find that market to break a new artist? The artist breaks themselves, and then woo, yeah, then they get an agent. <laughs> woo, yeah, it's the same old story. Same old story. <laughs> You know, talk about how how the technology has changed in terms of making a record. I mean, you made this record uh, a, a couple years ago, and you know you started 20 years ago. And and I'm wondering if you can compare the differences between back then and now in terms of recording yourself, well, I mean, instrumentation, yeah. <laughs> making a record. Well, they have a little thing called Auto Tune now that I'm sure a lot of people are benefiting from. Yep. Um, not to mention every Pro Tool there is. And sure. I've loved the process of recording on some of these instruments because my edits before, I was, if you think I was narcissistic and actually a perfectionist in the past, which, trust me, Rick, he'd be like, okay, you work it out with Bobby because I would, you know, comp my vocals, every last one of them, and we'd be like, hoo-ha, just trying to get that, make the, the you know, sometimes we had the, uh, what were they on, you know, those big discs, just making clips and stopping and making edits, it was just insane. And now you can go into Pro Tools. We can stretch notes. I stack them. I'm, I'm insane. I love looking at my little graphs and <laughs> going crazy, but it's a hell of a lot easier. And I made records. Well, the first, we, Rick and I did it in the basement of a big studio, but now, you know, I do it in people's apartments and bedrooms, you know, <laughs> make records <laughs> in the garage. You know, Unsatisfied, you covered uh, several iconic groups, and, and one of them was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You covered their classic Under the Bridge. Uh, did you have any trepidation about taking on such an iconic classic song? I mean, that's, you know, that's that's the oh, signature song for a generation of rock fans. Yeah, I mean, only if you can't do it believably. And, uh, that, you know, that, the story I wanted to tell about being transplanted and living here and going through my own, uh, and coming from a female perspective, not necessarily driven the way, you know, Anthony went through his story. I mean, but there's other ways to look at it. And that's the beauty of a song. And it transcends somebody's own person. It transcends universally. Sure. Well, that's the reason to take on some material like that. Fool to cry, same thing. Although, you know, and, and bring in your interpretation of it. And I've done that successfully in the past, and that's the reason I went there. <laughs> and how did you feel about the finished product? Did you, did you, were I you love satisfied it. with it? Yeah. I love it. I did it with Mike Mangini. I love it. I love wow. it. You know, but talking about up, the... You know, it's personally fulfilling, but for the audience sure. as well. Sure. You know, we were talking about the digital revolution earlier and it's and how it has forever changed the way we as a society kind of process and consume music. Uh, I'm wondering if it's, if it's at all changed the way you create music. Oh, well... I, you know, I also come from the age of I, I broke with dance records, so I'm a little closer to it than some artists. It was easier for me and you know, to actually work with a track. You know, I already come from that mentality of, oh, if I just song around a track, I can write a song from scratch. You know, I'm okay like that. Mm-hmm. Um, digitally, it just enhances the fact that things, music passes so much easier. I, I don't know. If I can MP3 somebody's song, I'm, I'm ecstatic. <laughs> the shit we had to do in the past <laughs> is a nightmare. 
oh, we'll send the reels, we'll this, we'll that. I'm like, I wanted to shoot myself. <laughs> I mean, there's beauty to this. I mean, there's crimes to it, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of positive results. And I mean, yeah, you know, purists with the digital sound, you know, whatever. I get it, I get it. But for my needs, it wasn't as criminal, you know? Uh-huh. So what's on the horizon for Taylor Dane? Do you have another record in the pipeline? or? Yeah, I'm uh, working currently on re-recording my greatest hits. I'm about eight songs into it and writing new material for it. Excellent. And we're, looking in, we're looking in Europe right now and then remixes on that. And yeah, it'll be a magical thing. So we're talking about new versions of your of your classic hits? Is that what we're... No, I'm doing them identically because now I want to own my masters. I'm in a, I'm in a position to do that. Fantastic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's about... my thing. So probably feels <laughs> there in Europe, blah blah blah. I'm touring like crazy, and without a doubt, television. You know, I'm working on series because really, the as you can see, breaking an artist today means nothing unless they're on television. Wow. Well, I tell you what, I I really appreciate you coming by the show for a little bit to to gab with oh, me. I, it's, I've been a big fan for a long time, and I really appreciate you you stopping by. It's a oh, great I, honor to pleasure. Your questions <laughs> were 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 incredible. I have to say, very <laughs> thorough, and and I thank you for taking the time, and it was an honor for me. Absolutely, thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. Before I let you go, could I get you to do a quick promo for my show? Absolutely. As long as it includes the words Taylor Dane and Brandon's Buzz, anything else you say is totally up to you. Hi, this is Taylor Dane, and you're listening to the one and only Fantastic Brand Buzz. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you. Happy Fourth. Thank you. You too. <laughs> the Fantastic Taylor Dane, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can for uh, uh, July 2nd, 2009. Don't have any more shows lined up for for uh, the time being, but stay tuned to my blog, stay tuned to uh, brandonsbuzz.com or www.blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz and you can get a complete um, uh, information on what's coming up on the show. Just the, the, minute I, the minute I get a confirmation on something, I'll, put it, I'll post it so that you guys can hear it. And um, So you guys will get the information. Just Like I said, check out the blog, check out the website. You can also find me on iTunes. I'm on iTunes right next to Taylor Dane, uh, just type in Brandon's Buzz, the words Brandon's Buzz, in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Uh, and there you can subscribe to the show and uh, have new episodes immediately upload or download to your, to your iTunes Music Library the minute they're uploaded to the store. Or you can download individual old shows as podcasts. Um, and I, you know, I encourage you to do that. You can listen to them on your iPod. You can listen to them on your computer. You can listen to them on t- on the the portable device of your choosing. Uh, and you know, it's 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 a really great tool. It's a really great way. You know, people say all the time, "Well, I can't listen to your show because I'm not at my computer." Well, you don't have to be at your computer. It's archived, so you can download it later, and you can take it with you on the go. You can take it with you on your iPod, uh, on your Zoom, on whatever you choose to listen to. So uh, I encourage you to do that, please. Uh, as I said, the, the show's website is blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. Uh, and from there, you can, you can uh, listen to old shows. You can download old shows. You can leave comments. You can leave feedback. You can tell me what you like about the show, what you don't like. Uh, and I appreciate any and all feedback about the show. 
Uh, one more time, a great thank you to Miss Taylor Dane, the fantastic Miss Taylor Dane. Uh, as I said, nothing firm yet on the calendar, but stay tuned because I'm working on several shows for next week, and hopefully one of those will come to fruition. So, uh, as I said, stay tuned to the blog, stay tuned to the website, stay tuned to iTunes, and please stay tuned to Brandon's Buzz. This is Carrie Garber, and you are buzzing with Brandon. Hey, this is Courtney. And this is Nally from OneTreeHillWeb.net. And you're checking out Brandon's Buzz. Hey, hey, this is Mia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, this is Bob Kremer. Some of you may know me as Andrew Carpenter on One Life to Live. Good luck, Brandon. Keep buzzing. Merci à tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt.